It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. To brighten up this horrible morning, I have something nice for you. Something nice from our good friends at the Clayton Hotel Cork they've given us a little freebie to brighten up your Friday a little night away when the hotel's open sometime around 2027 I think by the looks of it at this stage according to what's coming out of of the government but you know what did I hear in the news there did I hear something that sounds astonishingly close to common sense out of Stephen Donnelly I mean is the word starting to change or what we get to all those things. I want to go first, though, to Katie O'Keefe, our own Katie O'Keefe from the 96FM newsroom about this enormous drug seizure yesterday down in Ringeskiddy, which I think was on a boatload of bananas or something like that, Katie. Was it? Good morning to you. Yeah, PJ. It was found during a search of a 40-foot refrigerated fruit container on a cargo ship that was docked at Ringeskiddy Port uh, yesterday around noon. Right. And Gardy confirmed that approximately 172 kilos of cocaine was found, which they believe was destined for the Irish market. It had a street value of an estimated 12 million euro. The, the ship itself had come from Costa Rica and had left about 10 days ago, right. um, around 6 February. So uh, the vessel itself is registered in Hong Kong and it's a regular visitor to Cork bringing bananas. So we're right there. Right. Now, no arrests yet, I believe. No, nothing yet. Um, a forensic investigation will be getting underway for fingerprints and DNA, and um, it's the Revenue will assist in examining the ships, and the Guardian Revenue then will liaise with international law enforcement agencies to see if they can gather intelligence on possible ports that the co- cocaine was bound for, and if it's involved in any particular gangs, etc. because in August 2018, um, a similar a similar sh- uh, confiscation of cocaine was found from Hoder Chile that was also bound from Cork, and it seems to have been um, related to gangs up in... Yeah. Yeah, th- th- there were a number of huge seizures. That very few of them got in this far, though. There was one off Mizzen Head in 2008... That was down near Toehead there. Uh, there was a massive haul, 400 million euro. The ship was called the Dances with Wolves. And then there was one off the Cork Coast last year. Oh, sorry, in 2014. Sorry, that was uh, 290 million worth of cocaine. A, a, a yacht called Machiavella, I think was the, was the name yeah. of it. But this one came right up into Ringeskiddy Port yesterday. And clearly it was a joint operation. Clearly the, the authorities were watching this vessel. 
Yeah, it seems that the authorities knew which vessel they had to be searching yesterday. Um, and luckily they found it. Yeah. Okay, Katie, I'll leave it there. Your line isn't the best. Thank you very much for that update. That's Katie O'Keefe from the Cork's 96FM newsroom. Just bringing us up to speed. There are no arrests yet. This enormous haul of drugs into Ringeskiddy Port yesterday. It was a joint operation um, involving the customs and the guards and revenue. And this is our authorities doing the job very, very well. Their assistant commissioner, John O'Driscoll, his head of organised and serious crime within the guards said a joint operation involving Garda Shukona, the National Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau and the Revenue and resulted in the seizure of a substance believed to be cocaine estimated street value 12.4 million euro uh, potential of collaborative working and all these things Gardaí will continue to work with others at a national and international level in targeting the importation and supply of illicit drugs and then a man called Mick Gilligan who is the customs Drug law enforcement officer said combating the smuggling of controlled drugs uh, is a priority for revenue. Today, we deployed the full suite of our specialist search services resources to control this vessel from Central America, including our x-ray scanner, drug dog. In other words, we all got together and we all figured out what was on the boat and we all got it out from inside the bananas, which was a great day's work for all of our authorities. Yeah, that was dances with waves, actually. Not Dances with Wolves. Dances with Wolves was a, a Kevin Costner film, I think. Yeah. 1850-715-996. Text to WhatsApp 83 96 96 Connor and Jock on full alert, <laughs> says Kevin. Yeah, I was thinking the same myself. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See Motors.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 96 96. On Cork's 96 FM. Lots going on this morning with regard to level 5 restrictions. Um, we are told now that what Neffet is telling the government is that you really can't start to ease these restrictions for a long time yet. That the very best you can do is get the schools back on a phased basis. And every so often we'll check how things are doing. And then when we get the schools back, we'll have to hold firm for a little while till we see what that causes. That's the advice from Neffet. And the government are now chewing that advice over, but... Michal Martin gave an interview to the Mirror yesterday in which he hinted, he didn't quite drop it in us, but he, he, he hinted that it could be as much as nine weeks, could be after the Easter holidays before any real easing of anything comes. And certainly the thought is now that schools, it'll be after the Easter holidays before everybody is fully back at school because what they want to do is They want to start letting people back in groups and then hold on that for a couple of weeks, see what effect it has on the numbers, see what effect it has on transmission, then allow the next group and the next group and the next group. They're also going to look at construction in the same way, but not for a while. I don't think there'll be any construction starting until after Patrick's Day, at least anything that's not happening now until at least after St. Patrick's Day. That seems to be the advice coming to government from 
from Neffet, which of course will be discussed and dissected and given to all the civil servants rather than just acted upon. And then we'll hear something probably next week. It comes, this is an interesting one. This morning there's one of the British newspapers, now Metro I picked it up on, I'm sure it's on other ones, but Metro is the newspaper I picked it up on this morning to say that globally the number of new cases of coronavirus have fallen by 16% last week. Infection rates now at their lowest level since mid-October, which is a good thing. I'm sure sure of that. It is a good thing. Uh, Five of the six World Health Organization regions of the world reported a double-digit drop in new cases. Only the Eastern Mediterranean, Europe, in other words, part part of Europe, showing a rise. And new cases across Europe as a whole dropped by 18%. Now, this is good, but it does coincide with severe restrictions and lockdowns and the early stages of the vaccine rollout. So at least we seem to be getting a handle on it in some way, shape or form. But Graham Manning has been talking to me or has been contacting us about special needs because as it now stands, uh, we had some special needs classes went back on the 8th of February and many people very, very happy about that and rightly so. But there's another cohort of special needs pupils to go back next Monday, the 22nd. And it's proving problematic, Graham, I think. Good morning to you. Morning, PJ. How are you getting on? Good. What is the problem? Everyone's happy to go back that I've been talking to lately. Absolutely. Look, the school, uh, they are going back. Um, issues with our, some of the issues. And again, to be honest, pretty much all of these are quite easily solvable issues if the department agrees to them. Um, that last bit is kind of a sticking, at least from my perspective, a sticking point. Um, number one, the department's plan, uh, they haven't published it publicly. They've sent this on to schools, but what they've sent on to schools has a bit, you know, confidential mm-hmm. across the sheet or has draft across the sheet. You teach you a number of classes, Graham, and you're supposed I to do. resume on Monday. Have I'm you a plan in front of you? Um, have I a plan from the Have I a plan from the department that I'm meant to have seen? No. Have I seen the plan? Yes. Um, it's just it's that kind of silliness. Like why why is the plan confidential? Mm. It says it literally when you get the sheet from the department. It says confidential across the front of it. Why? But again, that's kind of more semantic stuff than anything else. Like for example, one of the first things on the plan says that uh, I'm meant to strongly encourage all students to return to special classes. I have no medical qualifications. And I point blank refuse to do that. I'm not doing that at all. Um, I'd be very surprised at any, any educator who would. On the other side of that, um, have I contacted the parents of every student I work with and made it absolutely clear we are fully open, we're there, all that. Of course I'll do that. And any questions I'm asked, I'll answer to the best of my ability. But I'm not going to turn around and, well, you have to come in. Because yeah. they don't. Um, there's things like um, the majority of my students currently, you know, this can change with different cohorts of students, uh, but currently, majority of my students um, attend most of, their, uh, most of the classes they attend are mainstream classes. Yeah. And they're mostly looking towards doing state exams. Now, <laughs> whether those happen or not, that's a shenanigans. But um, so when they come into ourselves, or whoever comes in, it's up to themselves to continue to work remotely at home. And that's a decision for them and their parents. Or to come in, uh, but they'll be working remotely inside in school. Now, I work with um, 18 students in um, three um, special classes. I don't have 18 laptops. Yeah. Uh, the computers that people say desktops, they don't have cameras on them. They're not set up to what they, you know, so I won't say some of them are older than me, but you know, they work well, but uh, there are limits to what they can do. Yeah. Now, the easy solution to that is, parents plan stick one line in there. All, all schools have a supplier set up for um, 
laptops, every single one of them. Um, all the, literally in this plan when it was sent out to school, I think it was sent out to schools last week. I actually originally missed that it was sent out, to be honest, because there was confidential on it, so I didn't see it. Um, but in that plan, you stick one line. Schools can have, uh, to purchase laptops through the regular supplier, and at some point the department will re- reimburse them. That way, anyone who comes into school can access their online classes, problem yeah. solved. Yeah. Um, for students, majority of my students come in school um, school transport. They get uh, taxis. Um, it could be minibuses. If you're in a rural setting, it could be an actual bus bus, but it's generally speaking, in the city anyway, it's going to be taxis. And it's majority of my students. Now, school transport has been re- reduced to 50% capacity. So if you include four students and a driver, that's five people in most of the taxis that my students travel in on. Mm-hmm. 50% of five is two. You can't round this up. Yeah. So that's the driver and one student. How do they get into school on time? Mm. How do they get into school at all? Because that's four different journeys, that taxi driver, if they stick to the rules. Now, maybe they'll make some allowance and they just they will ignore the rule, but if the rule is being ignored, why is it there in the first place? But that's four different journeys. Mm. Now, solution to that, now, parents are given some subsidy that if they can take uh, their students or their children themselves. Brilliant, that is one good step. Pay the taxi drivers to take the repeated journeys. In the terms of a four, $4.9 billion budget, you know, this isn't, you know, I'm not saying it's no money, but comparatively speaking, yeah. it's very, very little money and ensures students are inside the school. Um, so well, four, four trips for a, for a taxi driver on any given morning, you know, and I know, Graham, someone's going to be late for school. And again, the way around that. Um, let's say our students now generally from half eight on, they're outside in the building, the staff present. Um, some of us there are already getting things ready, but you know, generally speaking, it's half the states. Change that. Give the school uh, schools, depending on whether they're DESH, whether they have special classes, school numbers. On, you know, it's easy enough to draw for criteria. Give them an extra tranche of teaching hours. Now, this plan talks about sub teachers. There are very, very few of them. They talk about sub SMAs. They're freaking unicorns. They don't exist. Um, but are there teachers inside in school who are on less than full hours? There are. Are there student teachers inside in school? who financially would, would welcome here, there are. Are there some teachers who are full-time? Like I said, I live very close to my school. Would it make a big difference if I turn up a little bit early? It wouldn't. All right? You can't count on that in every school. But you give school a tranche of those hours, and that way you turn around, right, taxi drivers, normally it's half eight, forget about that, it's half seven. You can turn up whenever you want. Yeah. And students come in, come in early, they can come in late. Like I said, there is a practical, relatively inexpensive... Yeah. Just, I guess, Graham, for people who wouldn't be familiar, like... The taxi situation with schools has to work around a very particular schedule because the taxi cannot arrive at the school unless the child can actually enter the school, and it has yeah. to be very carefully timed. And obviously, that's for care. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So, so that just for people who wouldn't be familiar. Yeah, like for, for our students currently now, it'll be from half eight when you know, the staff are timetable to be there, much as it can be there a little bit earlier, um, until ten to nine when classes actually start. So that twenty minute window, sorry, no, you can turn that into an hour. Mm. use that tranche of hours that, okay, there's going to be a teacher inside in the school from quarter eight, half seven. Well, you know, again, it depends on the school, <coughs> the, school the yeah. context, and stuff like that. And but you put, the op- you, you, you put the option there. Exactly, and so, let them arrive late if they want. Something else that I think you're, you're concerned about is the whole, and look, we all know the importance nowadays with, with ventilation. Uh, but but yeah, ventilation I, ain't so gonna, easy in some places. 
I'm not going to pretend I've got a solution to that one, to be honest. I'm sure there are people who know more about it than me and could come up. Like I said, I can list off, and I, again, obviously, it's people say I'm not just making up problems. There's solutions to all of these. I've, you had a couple of things I've recently showing them. Quite, um, they've been relayed to my union who brought them to, or I've been told have brought them to the department officials when they're sitting in negotiations with them. Ventilation, uh, yeah, I don't know how to fix that. Because let's uh, go back a week. It was below zero and snowing. Um, now, it's bucket and rain at the moment. Fairness with rain, it'll be, it is a little bit warmer. Hopefully, it stays like that. But um, reliance on the um, gentleness of Irish weather isn't the plan. Yeah. And if I went to sit in the classroom, uh, we say, "Look, I don't look. If I'm going to be a bit cold, me, a big deal." <laughs> but um, especially students, I can be sitting in a classroom with students with significant sensory needs. That I've got to open the windows and doors, which I do have to. Um, or I'm my colleagues and other people in the similar profession. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're sitting inside those students where the inside is the same temperature as the outside. Graham, before I let you go, and it's a question that will come in, so, so I'll ask it anyway of you. People will say, Jesus, Graham, everyone is doing their best here. Can you not just go back to school, teach your classes, and make the most of what we have to deal with? Because let's face it, all around the front line, that's what people are doing. Uh Fair enough, and I've heard it plenty of times. Uh, number one, I am going back to school. I am making the best of it. But it's our departments. Like, these solutions, like I said, again, I'm not just presenting problems. Other than the ventilation, I don't know how to solve that. I'm not just presenting problems. I'm presenting solutions to them as well. But I don't have the authority to enact these solutions. Gotcha. If, I, if I did, great. If someone wants to give me that job, not a bother, I'll take it. Um, but I don't have the authority to fix these. Yeah. There are solutions there. They've been presented to government. And one last thing just before we go, and a more pro thing. Um, I've heard from a number of parents and different people of um, schools not fully opening their special classes on Monday. They have to. If there's any school management and teachers listening, you have to. You have the resources to do so. They've also all about using SNAs to cover supervision. You're not allowed to do that. That's not part of an SNA's job. Okay. Okay. All right, Graham. Leave uh, it there, and we'll see how no, things go. We, we look. If it, appreciate the time. If, if it all falls on its arse after Monday, I'm sure you'll be the first one to let me know. Yeah, uh, it won't, but it could be done better. It won't fall on its arse. Our students will be very welcome, and we're looking yeah. forward to seeing it. All right, mate. Take care. Thanks. That's Graham Manning, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. They're all back Monday. The classes are open, but he's kind of saying, "Look, it could be done a bit better." Here's how you do it, and what he's annoyed about is the silence. And the lack of movement, which is a very, very common complaint. Right. I mentioned that for that horrible morning that is out there, our good friends at the Clayton Hotel Cork have come up with a plan to brighten up your Friday. Another overnight stay for you. We did this last weekend. and We've got one today. An overnight stay in a superior Riverview balcony room. Dinner for two in there. Globe restaurant and bar. Complimentary access to their Club Vitae with its 18-metre pool. That's the giveaway today. So, when the hotels open, sometime around August of 2027, I'm joking. When the hotels open again, you can take this voucher. I want to know the one thing that you always put into your suitcase. Obviously, jammers, toothbrush, the usual old palaver, fine. But the one thing that goes into your suitcase that you just would not be without. You'd leave the wife at home if it meant you couldn't put this in, the, in if, it, if it meant that it had to be her or this in the suitcase. The boyfriend would be left waiting in the car if it was a choice between him and this one thing 
that you have to have in the suitcase. What is it? And why? Why is the bit I want to know about? Because I want you to give me a laugh on this dull, horrible Friday that we wish we could blame on the government. What is the one thing you would not leave out of your suitcase and why? 083 396 96 96. 083-396-9696. Text to WhatsApp. Thanks to our friends at the Clayton Hotel Cork. What is the one thing you will not leave out of your suitcase and why? And getting back to the schools, going back Monday, the special classes and the mainstream and all that, the best of luck to everybody. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. You get them into me. The one thing, the one thing you will not leave out of your suitcase, but why is the bit that's going to win you the prize? Why won't you leave it out of the suitcase? Want to get your thoughts on something as we go through the morning, and we have a busy Friday morning for you. But Dr. Mike Ryan, who we've all come to know as a household name, he of the World Health Organization, he was given a very prestigious award this week. It was called the Trocora Romero Award. He was awarded this on Wednesday in recognition of his efforts to protect vulnerable communities from COVID-19. And of course, Mike Ryan, originally, I believe, a Sligo man, uh, works full-time now with the World Health Organization. One of the guys who succeeded, one of his greatest claims to fame is Mike Ryan is one of the people who succeeded in keeping Ebola in Africa. It's Unfortunately, Ebola seems to be flaring up again now in certain parts of that continent, and it's very worrying. But Mike Mike Ryan's been one of the people who credited with keeping it from getting out of there. But he's been working front and centre in the fight against COVID nineteen. It's becoming a, a household has become a household name. But he spoke after he was presented with the award about vaccines, and of course, we all know. Look, vaccines now are coming on stream. And we'll eventually all get one in the UK. They're flying ahead. I got a message the other morning from a listener in London. Hi, Trish. And she is, I think she's just turned 50. And she's been called for her vaccine now, which is brilliant. And also uh, her daughter got called because her daughter has special needs. And the daughter's care got called. They're doing that in the UK. And I also read this morning that they may be vaccinating under 40 or over 40s in UK by by April. We are desperately slow compared to that. But look, we'll all get there in the end, one hopes. But Mike Ryan was saying, look, we also need to think of those who will be waiting and waiting and waiting for vaccines. Because all the wealthy countries in the world... And wealthy blocks like the EU have bought every last bottle of vaccine that they can get their hands on. And here we are cheerleading about millions and millions of vaccines being bought. And we're all anxious to get ours, of course. But Mike Ryan is speaking up for those who'll be waiting a lot longer than we will. 
And I want your thoughts on what he's been saying. For Ireland and for everyone else in Europe and across the world, once we cover those individuals who are vulnerable in our society, can we then at least begin to share with those in the world who don't have access to the vaccine? At least begin to share a small slice of the cake for the people who are way down the queue. It's very hard for people down that chain in South Sudan today, down the end of the line, looking up at the top of the line with developed countries fighting over who's first and who's second and who's third. And they know they're never even going to get into the line. The North doesn't need to share all its vaccine. It needs to share some of its vaccine in order to ensure that the most vulnerable and the most at risk in the developing world have access. It's a simple thing. And I think the citizens of Ireland would want that to happen. And I think the citizens of Ireland have shown over my whole lifetime, their commitment to Trokara, to concern, to development, to equity, to justice. We're not going to punish you in the next election because you shared a few vaccines with those who most need them. Almost all of the vaccines that have been delivered in the world are in 10 countries in wealthy states. It cannot be sustained. That is just not fair. It's just not fair. If we stand by and allow frontline health workers and vulnerable people in developing countries to not be vaccinated, while the rich North gets on with vaccinating perfectly healthy young people, then I hope the history books write that down. Strong words from a man who's become a household name. What do you think? Once the vulnerable are vaccinated, once the majority of the people who need to be safe are safe, should we then share? Should we then begin to share our allocation with the most vulnerable in other parts of the world? Remember, our doctors and nurses and are being vaccinated at a rate of knots. But doctors and nurses in some parts of the world, India, for example, haven't got vaccines yet. And some of them won't see a vaccine until the end of the year. So, as Mike Ryan is saying there, pretty much all of the available stock of vaccines currently on the planet are going to be shared up around 10 countries and 10 blocks of countries. Is it time to start sharing those with the most vulnerable parts of the world? I would like to know your thoughts. I would like to know your thoughts on that. Just as a little talking point to keep us going on this dull, dreary Friday morning on the opinion line. I'm just referring back yesterday. We didn't find out what happened to the uh, mandate poster on Debenham's door, the one that said the Taoiseach has let us down badly. Valerie Conlon was on with me here yesterday. They were trying to find out what had happened to that poster. But as always, when you bring on the Debenham's workers, the lads on the proc wet themselves because their general view is, era lads you've lost, walk away. They're not going to. And to think that I should be telling them to walk away. Well, I'm not going to. They feel aggrieved. They are the little guy. And the little guy will always have a voice on this program. All right? Thanks. 1850715996. Here's an unusual story. This is one of these, when they call it in, in broadcasting, the what did he say, Mary? What did he say? Women should not use unregulated sperm secured from Facebook groups in an attempt to become pregnant. 
according to a specialist. I'll read that again. Women should not use unregulated sperm secured from Facebook groups in an attempt to become pregnant due to the health risks involved. That's the top line of a story in the Times written by Brian Mahan. Brian, what is going on? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, PJ, look, it, it's an unusual story. There's no doubt about it. Um, I guess the background to this is um, basically in Ireland, IVF treatment um, is privatised at the moment. So it's not available on the HSE for free. Uh, so basically to get access to IVF in Ireland, it costs around €4,500 per, per go. You can go abroad, it's about half that cost again. But either way, you're looking at, you're going to spend around 10 grand to do it, you know, twice or three times. Um, and a lot of women, or not, I shouldn't say a lot of women, but some women and their partners are saying, that's far too expensive for us, we can't do that. And they're going on to Facebook groups uh, and, they're, and they're putting in saying, you know, I'm a 32-year-old woman, me and my partner can't have a child in the traditional method. Um, is anyone willing to give us uh, sperm? And people are responding. Guys are responding saying, yeah, I can give you sperm. I can meet you X, you know, in X place. You know, let's have a chat and see if we match up. Um, so it's just happening uh, in these Facebook groups. That's, that is, that's a spit coffee moment. I'm sorry. That, it's shocking. I never thought that people would do that. Yeah, and look, from, from speaking to uh, two specialists, IVF specialists, you know, this is not a, this is a dangerous thing to do. You know, these women uh, and these couples um, are, are taking a risk when they do this, right? So when uh, you say you go, hypothetically, you or I go to an IVF clinic with our partner or whatever, um, and you get the sperm, um, what you are guaranteeing pretty much there is, you know, the the guy who has donated that sperm is uh, you know he has been gotten a health check he's gotten an SDI check um, and they've done a, a genetic test for for diseases like Huntington's disease so it's the person is safe and also the, the man has been you know quote unquote kind of psychologically evaluated so, you know is this guy in the right frame of mind to be donating sperm that could potentially result in a child um, none of that is kind of done in a formal a proper way, there's no contract signed and these women are, you know there's no two ways about it, they're taking a chance I spoke with a woman uh, who we'll, we'll call Sean for the purposes of this discussion um, and you know, she admitted, you know, some of the guys were a bit skeevy um, I, I've been on the Facebook groups and some of the photos are, uh, of these guys, uh, their profile photos are they're kind of, they're, they're sexualized. there's no other way to put it um, in what is, you know actually, perversely, not a sexual thing. You know, yeah, they're, yeah. they're talking about donating their sperm for so a woman can have a child with her partner. Um, and it, it just kind of, a, there, there's definitely some creepy dudes on these Facebook posts, uh, on these Facebook groups. There's no other way of putting it. Uh, there's some other guys I spoke to, it didn't get into the piece because uh, they spoke to me after the piece was published. They seem like perfectly lovely guys and they absolutely just want to, you know, they're altruistic and they want to help people out. And But nonetheless, you know, it's not regulated. There's no real contract signed. We don't know their genetic background, their SDI background, or their health background. So you've no idea who you're giving money to for for a bottle of a bottle of sperm. But then you can't exactly go to the doctor and say, right, can you we use this? 
Yeah, so um, from speaking to this lady, Shauna, um, you know, they have to, I asked her this exact question. I said, you know, when, when you plan to collect this sperm, you know, are you going straight to a doctor or how are you doing it? And she said, look, you can buy all of the instruments on Amazon and me and my partner are going to do it uh, ourselves. So it's it's a whole, um, for want of a better way of putting it, DIY process. Um, and I leave it to your listeners' imagination as to how that would work. But like, this is completely unregulated and um, people are just doing this on their own. And the reality the reason they're doing this is because it's too expensive to do in the private sector mm. and the HSE doesn't offer it. Now look, I, uh, and I suppose we could look at that, Brian, you and I, and say, God, how bizarre is this? And I know an awful lot of listeners are saying, how mad is that? Mm. But I guess, do you know, if you're desperate, you're desperate. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm reluctant to, to, use, to use the word desperate. I know exactly what you mean when you say that. Um, but, you know, these women, you know, and their partners, you know, they want a child. They can't conceive through traditional methods, through either infertility or they're in, a, you know, a gay or lesbian relationship. And this is the only way to them that's left. And when I spoke to this woman, Shauna, for the piece, um, you know, she said, it's too expensive. We can't go down the traditional route and... Secondly, we know people who've tried it uh, three or four times, uh, three or four different rounds of IVF, and it hasn't worked. So someone, couples can and do spend 10, 15, 20,000 euro, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't work. And you're back at square one, and you're most, like most people, you know, you're probably 20 grand in debt, and you just want to start a family. So the impetus or the uh, kind of emotion b- uh, behind these decisions makes sense um, you know maybe going on Facebook groups is probably the last option you would take but these people want to start a family yeah yeah Tom is on the phone suggesting is this any different to hooking up with some stranger in a bar it's not ideal but you've less of a chance of infection but it's 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 I think it probably reveals Brian and I don't know your your, your contact Shauna who's not obviously not her real name like what has have, have they gone through with it, having having hooked up with somebody? Um, so, so, so from chatting to her, they have spoken to a guy and they've kind of made a decision that they're going to go with this person. And they, but they haven't gone ahead with it yet. I think they're holding off mainly because of COVID. Uh, the person is, is outside of, of Dublin. Um, but... So it's probably a couple of months off for them. Um, but again, no more than IVF, um, you know, there's no guarantee that it will work no. and that she uh, would become pregnant. And actually the interesting thing is I, I asked her, you know, are you going to tell, you know, your your family and friends how you became pregnant um, if they ask? And she said, look, I want to get pregnant first. But when it becomes apparent that I am, or if it becomes apparent that I am, um, I will tell them I met someone or we met someone, me and my partner organised this on social media. So, there you go. And how much money is changing hands for this, Brian? Um, that's a good question. From it, it, it depends. Some guys it seems are genuinely quote-unquote altruistic and want to do it because they just want to help people out. Um, other guys, um, from chatting to Sean and, and reading elsewhere about it, uh, the, the UK uh, Sunday Times did a piece on this as well last week. Um, 
are you know could be charging a, you know, a couple of hundred quid for a a, a sample. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, Shauna from chatting to her, she said she's not paying for it. Um, they just want to get to know someone and get the donation. Um, but certainly, some people are trying to charge it, are trying to charge for it, and you know, then also aren't getting their health checks and their STI uh, checks and kind of exchanging that information yeah. uh, with the couple or with Cause, the Because it's kind of not the thing that the fella can go to his doctor about either and say, come here, I want to give a woman I met on Facebook who wants a child, I want to give her some sperm, can you check me out and say am I all right? That's not a conversation you have with your GP either. No, but look, I suppose you can get a health check and you can get an SCI check and you don't need to say why you're getting it. True. Maybe you're just True. health conscious, you know? Um, so I'm sure where there's a will, there's a way. Um, but certainly some men aren't doing that. And as I say, some of the men are, uh, some of the men on the group, you know, look a bit skeevy. Maybe they're lovely guys, but the photos, they, they made me uncomfortable when I was on the group. I was like, mm, that looks a little bit weird. The last question that comes to mind, Brian, is the most mm. obvious one of all, I think. Is this even legal? It's completely unregulated. Um, it's hard to know if it's completely illegal. I would imagine, yes, it is. But also, you know, on a very basic level, there's huge... Uh, from when I chatted to, chat to a lady from the, the Marion Clinic in Dublin who, who run... Um, IVF, who do IVF, and she said, you know, there's like massive ethical implications here. There's massive, you know, matters of contract law nearly here. You know, who, you know, who has kind of parental rights here? Yeah. What rights does the child yeah. have to know their father? Like, you know, even taking taking aside all stop, of the health stop, risks. stop that second one, right? Because yeah. that's the, I, to my mind, that's one of the biggest ones of all. Because we already have the discussion. And I've had a woman here in studio and she subsequently found the man. But like even in the regulated donor Mm. sperm market, if you want, there's an ongoing debate as to do I have a right to know whose sperm this is and does the donor of the sperm have a right to know where his child is? That debate is ongoing in the regulated side of things. If this is... What's to stop Shauna's contact, in inverted commas, knocking on the door in a few years' time, wanting to see his or her son or daughter, his son or daughter. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the reason, you know, yes, IVF is very expensive um, currently in the private sector, but, like, all of this stuff is figured out, quote-unquote. You know, I think in Denmark um, and in, I think in the UK, uh, but I'd have to double-check this, you know, there's a right for the, the child who is conceived as a result of IVF and yeah. donor sperm at the age of 18, even if the donor sperm is quote unquote anonymous at the time, to say actually I want to know who yeah. my 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 father is, yeah. uh, and they can they, they can begin that journey. But like this is like imagine with, with the greatest I, I have the greatest of respect for these women because they want to start a family and they want to start a family now. But this is the wild west in terms of you know this guy could you know show up on your door in a couple of years time and. Or could completely disappear, and it transpires that actually there is some genetic uh, uh, thing that no one ever knew about, even he didn't know about, yeah. and then just disappears off the face of the earth. And, and the other conversation, Brian, with mm. the baby, and if there is a baby, and you know what, I, I hope that Shauna does eventually manage to have a child because you know it's it's something she really wants to do. But 
how is she going to have the conversation or anyone like her have the conversation with their child when they sit down and ask the inevitable question Mammy, um, where did I come from exactly? Yeah, look, it's a conversation I wouldn't um, like to have to have but Mm. equally, you know if it's a happy family and the child is everything goes well it's just maybe it's a, a an interesting story to tell in the best case scenario um in the worst case scenario it who knows thinking about it. yeah it doesn't bear thinking brian it's a great story it's a disturbing story and uh, thank you for speaking to us about it on the opinion line on course 96 and brian mahan a reporter from the times of ireland like did we ever think when we opened our first facebook pages back in the day that it would be used for something like this i i've been so long at this old game i don't surprise or shock easily at all but this one left me gasping for breath so now because of the huge cost of ivf and the difficulty in in getting support for it because it's not covered in the public health system and blah 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 and we all know we've discussed it at length how difficult and how expensive IVF is now there are Facebook groups where men are selling well they may be just giving it but some of them are selling sperm to couples who desperately want a child and then as Brian says they do a DIY basically you buy it Turkey based on Amazon. That's what you do. Did we ever think, ever, when we signed up for any platform at all, that this is what it might be used for one day? <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I'm not lost for words often. Uh, but I'm lost for words on that particular story. I, I really am. 185715. 996. Remind you again of our competition with the Clayton Hotel Cork, just to brighten up this horrible Friday morning. A morning we all wish we could blame the government for. Don't we? We are. We do. We do. God, even members of the Fianna Fáil party would like to blame the government for this. But you can't. We have an overnight stay for you in a superior Riverview balcony room at the Clayton Hotel Cork. Dinner for two in the Globe Restaurant and Bar, complimentary access to Club Vitae with its 18-metre pool. That's all on us when the hotels reopen, whenever they reopen. We need to know the one thing that you always pack in your suitcase, the one thing that you absolutely would not be about or be without, right? And why? The why is the bit that will win you the prize. The best reason, all right? The one thing you wouldn't be without... We're looking for unusual ones there. But the one that will separate the wheat from the chaff is why. So what's the one thing you always pack in your suitcase, the one thing you wouldn't be without, and why? And we'll draw a winner around about 5 to 12 with our friends at Clayton Hotel Cork, winner of Best Cork Hotel 2020 uh, by Cork Business Association. The ideal couple's break right here on your doorstep. Uh, men selling sperm, says Andrew in Blackpool. I'm not reading that out, Andrew, you pup, you. Wish I could, though. Eugene, what would happen in a few years if the father wants to meet his child? Yes, 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 absolutely a problem. 
We've got a travel update. The Cross River Ferry is currently suspended due to adverse weather. Cross River Ferry suspended due to the adverse weather. On vaccines and Mike Ryan, John says, give my dose to the third world. But unfortunately, people will still be dying when life gets back to normal in the EU and America. People don't care. Jeff Bezos could write a check in the morning that would make a huge difference to either the COVID crisis or food poverty, and so could many others. PJ, wake up. People don't care. John, people do care about the third world. You only have to look. Anytime people in this country are asked to put their hands in their pockets for the third world, they do. They all, not as much as they used to, but they always have done. Teachers should be vaccinated before reopening of schools. And they'll be just as much at risk as frontline workers said. And we've had that call. And I think one of the unions, I think it might be the ASTI, I could be wrong. One of the unions again raised it in the last 24, 48 hours. Teachers are presently on the list at number 11. They're number 11 on the list of priority for getting vaccines. And there's a lot of talk now that maybe we should lift the teacher's up the priority list a little bit to help get the schools back. Then again, who do you take off the priority list to lift the teachers up it? Therein always lies another question. 1850-715-996. Before I go towards the news, some sad news. We've talked uh, quite a few times on the programme to Julie of Twins and Me on Instagram. Uh, Julie has uh, put some sad news up on her gram in the last uh, few hours. RIP to the biggest legends in our lives, my daddy, the Twinnies Granda, our world. Let the free birds fly. See you when I get there. Have the eggs on the boil for me. And I know how devoted Julie was to her dad and devoted the kids were to their granddad. So may he rest in peace. Sad news from Twins and me, but I know that she would like me to pass on uh, that sad news to her many, many followers. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Not doing a whole lot. Well, if you want us to, we will. On this idea that the extension of lockdown could be now until May. That's the story in the Irish Mirror and all the other papers have picked up on a bit this morning that the Taoiseach in an interview with Kira Phelan in the Mirror kind of dropped it that it could be May before we come out of Level 5 in any meaningful way. We were talking earlier with Graham Manning and we've been talking repeatedly about the schools going back. The, the plan is that the schools will go back in a phased basis from March 1, starting with the Leaving Certs and Junior and High Babies and maybe First Class. And then they'll take a break for a week or two and they'll look again and bring another cohort back, then another cohort back. And it looks as if most of the schools won't be back until after the Easter holidays. Construction, they may allow a very limited amount of construction to restart in the month of March, but that's not looking good. Never too happy, not too happy about that plan. And that mounts up and mounts up and mounts up. We will be in We'll be in level five or some form of level five until at least Easter. And now it looks as if that could be into May before anything significant starts to happen in terms of restrictions. A lot of people are very angry that the Taoiseach told a newspaper about it or dropped a hint like it to a newspaper rather than making a formal address to the nation. But you see, what we're missing here is Neffet issued its 
advice as it does yesterday. It's got to go through all the various layers. The three civil servants, Martin Fraser and his cohorts, they have to look at it. Then the sub... Excuse me, I just needed to sneeze. The subcommittee of cabinet has to look at it. And then cabinet will meet on Tuesday and Wednesday. And then we'll probably get an announcement from the Taoiseach next week. But by then we're going to know. So it looks like we're stuck with this until at least Easter and possibly into May. And here's the thing, Kiran thanks Kiran on Twitter for the reminder. Kiran predicted this uh, a while back. When all, figure this out, and it's to take someone like Kiran to spot this. All library books had their loan periods extended till the 1st of April. Because libraries are closed under level 5. So if all of the library books had their loan periods extended until the 1st of April, what's that tell you? The libraries don't expect to be open again until the 1st of April, which, by the way, is Holy Thursday, two days before Easter. So, yeah, we did see that coming. We did. How do you feel about it, though? People are very angry. Kevin says, if this is how the government lose the dressing room, I'm sickened and disappointed. I'm not surprised. When Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael care more about being the story rather than giving clear messaging, then you know the rest. Um, I don't have much restraint this morning. 1850-715-996. Other people saying the government has to stop with the leaking of information. Last week, we were in lockdown till Easter. This morning, it's May. No announcement until next week. They're playing with fire with our mental health. I actually think they are losing the power that they have over us. 1850-715-996. And yes, of course, opening up before a major festival like Easter, what could possibly go wrong? You can forget Easter. You can, I'm sorry, I, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but you can forget Easter. It will be after Easter at the earliest before anything meaningful starts to happen. Unless they might relax to 5K. That's about as much as will happen. They might let us go 10K. That has been discussed. Anyway, look, we're going to move on. If you have thoughts about it, I'd love to hear them or see them or read them. 1857 the number. The text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email is opinion at 96fm.ie. If you missed anything in our first hour, remember podcast goes up in the mid-afternoon. Starts with a link on Twitter, then goes to all our various platforms and the 96FM app. And of course, it is free of charge. 1857 Tim is planning to do one million steps. How many miles is that, Tim, or how many kilometres? Good morning. Good morning. How are you, PJ? Good, good, um, good. It's the equivalent to about 840 kilometres, I'd say. Right. So That's kind of walking 20. to Malinhead and halfway <laughs> back. Well, it's the equivalent to about 21 marathons in the 28 days, I'd say. And you're going to do this in 28 days? 28 days till the last day of February. So far, I have walked 680,000 um, steps. Good for you. That leaves 320,000. So by the end of the month, so 10 days to, say, to do the 320,000 steps. And are you going out in that? I was out this morning, yeah. I go out there every morning. I meet two the, the lads, Ken and Adrian, and we go for a walk every morning at about uh, 8 o'clock. We usually do between 8 and 10k. So, yeah, we got a good drench in there this morning. But it's uh, well so. worth it. And will you go out again later, or is that it for the day? No, I'll go out again another two or three times. Um, I'll go out there again at lunchtime, probably do another 10k, and I'll do another 10k later on, then maybe even more. Um, 
Yesterday, I did close on about 26K, and the day before, I did 41K, so it kind of varies. 41K is a full marathon, by the Full marathon, yeah. It's a work, as I said, like every 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 three days, it works out at almost two marathons. Like, you know, I, I kind of gauge it at um, about 90,000 90, to, oh, sorry, I gauge it at about 30 kilometers a day every day. So every three days is just over two marathons, like, you know. What's this about? Um, well, it's about a charity there that I saw on Facebook there, and um, the start of January, like I went on the scales at the start of January, I said I had to do something, like I was up at over 17 and a half stone right. over Christmas and the previous lockdowns and stuff like this, but um, we were after just recently losing my father who um, had a very short battle with liver cancer. I'm sorry um, to hear that, Tim. Yeah, so um, I saw this charity coming up for 300,000 steps for the month of February so I said yeah I'll definitely do something like that anyway but I was doing a bit of training for it in January and I said my legs are holding up grand and I said look I'll chance a half a million steps so with that um, I was saying to my mother and I was saying to my sisters and they were saying yeah why not go for it but um, as as it got closer um, I was seeing like that my fitness levels were going up a piece so I said look I got into Katrina O'Malley the fundraiser um, for the Mercy Hospital and I said to Katrina and she said Jesus you're probably taking on a bit too much there for yourself with a million steps like so at the time like I was I was fit as a fiddle which I thought and um, so I said I chanced a million steps and so the minute I put up that I was going to do a million steps there was an awful lot of donations came in like you know an awful lot of well wishes and an awful lot of people who knew my, my late father yeah. who were um, donating and um, so yeah just started from there um, so you, you, well, you're on 3,800 and something euro raised according to the Facebook page this morning and your target is 4,000 yeah but that's constantly going up it's going up uh, I constantly uh, I'm raising it all the time like at the start I was, I was saying maybe 500 euros no I'm all I'm almost at 4,000 but I probably have another 1,000 euros pledged I'd say with people who are saying once we get to the million steps they're actually going to pledge in a few bob here and there it's, 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 it's an incredible effort and Fair play to you for doing it. Tell me a bit about your dad. <sighs> um, well, my dad, like, wasn't only my dad, right? he was also um, my best buddy, like, you know? Yeah. Um, so on the, the 27th of May, on uh, my sister's birthday, um, the doctor rang my sister, actually, and said, look, we need to see your dad after just a routine blood test. So she rang me and rang my other sister Audrey and said, look, they want to see my dad. So it was actually, I can remember, it was a sunny um, May evening. So I said, leave it off, tell him tomorrow, tell him tomorrow. So my sister told him the following morning and he went straight to the hospital. And um, they did more tests. And about a week later, he was called in and he was in the operations in the Mercy. And one of my sisters went in, Audrey with my mum and Maria stayed outside. I was at work and um, they told him he had an inoperable tumour on, on his liver. Oh so um, he kind of got up with a fright and left the room and left my mum and my sister Audrey in the room. So they went on and asked the question, like, how bad is it? And they were told he maybe have three to six months to live. And there was nothing they could do? Nothing they could do, but like, to look at him, no, he was probably the healthiest ever he ever was in his life. Like, um, what age was he, Tim? He was 62 when he was diagnosed. Young man, young yeah. man. 
So um, we decided as a family to uh, kind of keep it from how, how bad it was. So um, for the next few months, then like, we were kind of constantly making memories. We had uh, um, last Father's Day, then we had my 40th, and um, we had his last birthday, and um, my mum's birthday. So um, no, it was like it was like strange thing to say, but it was like a long goodbye, like you know. Yeah. We as a family, like we were actually very close family, but like. When did it? When did he pass away, Tim? He passed away on the seventh of November, okay. after five months. So. Okay. Five months no, of making good memories. Five months making the best memories, but like he was like I'd say he knew how sick he was, even though he never kind of came across to tell us how sick he was. He he hated the hospital. He never wanted to go to the hospital. And thanks to God, he never had to stay in the hospital even through the pandemic. Like you know, but um, no, we made some lovely memories in the the five months. That's great. Um, well, what was his name, Tim? Uh, John John Marshall. John Marshall. John, you know you're doing this in in his memory, and it's it's a fantastic effort. And 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 what people are pointing out to me as well is you yourself um, you had a nasty leg break when? <laughs> that was last year um, I fell off I fell off a while down in um, down in Charlesworth down in Kinsale um, and snapped my ankle so I have my left ankle now it's, I'm looking at it there and it's big and it's like a balloon um, I have pins and I have pins in it like, so, so this is obviously painful it is what I found at the start of the, the month was any anyone that was walking with me they were walking way behind me no, this morning I'm walking way behind him, just trying to keep up with him. Like it, it is really taking a toll on my leg, so I have it bandaged up every day. When I come in down all this morning, I went into the shower, came out, put it up, put um, ice on it for half an hour before the phone call, and I'll do the same when I come back in in the afternoon, and I'll do the same when I come back in tonight. You're a tough old devil, do you know that? Yeah, well, like you know, it's, as I said to my mum there, like, and to my sisters, like, if my dad was able to go through. Five months of like he went through chemo at the start for um six weeks, and like I really knocked him for six. Like, but um, if he was able to do that, surely he can just fucking walk on the road for a month, like you know. Nice. And tell me, on, on a lighter note, you said that you were trying to get rid of the COVID stone, and I suppose the Christmas kilograms as well. Yeah. So well, I I started. I I went onto the scales in January, and like I usually go on the scales, and like I'd be determined then to lose a few pounds, like, but uh. I went up on the scales, it was 108 kgs. And 17 geez, stone, you said, yeah. 17 stone odd. So um, I said, geez, no, I didn't wear myself since, but I, I presumed the walking is taken care of. I can see a big change, actually. Like, But um, I'm going to wait until the end of the month to uh, wear myself again, like to see, right. see how, how far I'm after coming. Like, you know? Listen, you're, you're, a, you're a fabulous lad, and, and I think he'd be, he'd be so pleased and so proud of you. Yeah, but you know, it's, um, I'd just like to thank, but, you know, some PJ, the amount of people who are after doing it and like it's, it's mind blowing and all so do you know something like I'm kind of blogging when I'm out walking every day I'll be with the lads and they'll be saying never put away that phone but like I'll be taking pictures of wherever I am like you know I'm just kind of blogging day to day and you know like I'm coming back and I could have 20 to 30 uh, good wishes from people saying well done well done your dad be proud your dad was a gent every day like every day I'm waking up to messages from people saying well done you're, you're getting closer you're getting closer so no we're done for 10 days now and I have 320,000 steps to do so um, hopefully the next 10 days I know I know it, but, uh, the leg is a bit hard but we'll get through it alright like. good for you good for you there's people here messaging us to know how can they donate how can they well 
It's on my Facebook page. My Facebook page is Timmy Bobs. It's T-I-M-M-Y-B-O-B-Z. Yes. And you can just scroll down through it and there's a donate button and you can just press the donate button and it'll go in then. But as, as we speak now, we're just showing 4,000. But as I said, there's a good few people after pledging more money. So I was okay. just trying to make it as... That's why I got the fork. I was trying to make people aware of it as possible and try to make the most they possibly can in something that I probably won't do again a million steps in a month like mm. Well you've done a remarkable job and I have every faith in you to finish it I'd love to talk to you again at the yeah, end of well, the month I'm sure what I'll do is I'll give you another buzz there at the start of March and we'll see where we are at do, and we'll, see how, we'll see how it goes Timmy my condolences on, on, on the loss of your dad and dealing with that but congratulations on what you're doing for the Mercy Hospital Foundation fair play to you Brilliant and also just feed you before I go, do go it's just you know something it's it's the walk and helps an awful lot with people's mental health and yeah. you know, my like mine and my family's mental health has suffered an awful lot since you that were May. Yeah, but um down all through this as well, yeah. Yeah, I didn't encourage anyone to get up and walk because you know something is brilliant for your head, like it definitely is, like it'll give you a different perspective on things and it's you know, it just it'll clear your head like so yeah, for anyone who's kind of feeling down over the lockdown, I'd encourage them to get out and get a couple of clamps under their feet, well, like, you know? Well, 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 I might wait for a day when the weather is better, but... <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Thanks a million, anyway, for your time, Pete. No, yeah, thank thank you. you for what you're doing, Tim. That's brilliant. Timmy Bobs, you'll find him on Facebook, and the link to the do- to the, the fundraiser for Mercy Hospital Foundation, a million steps in the month of February, in memory of his dad, John. Timmy Bobs, T-I-M-M-Y-B-O-B-Z. Timmy Bobs, and go onto his Facebook page and you'll be able to link into the fundraiser, raising money for the Mercy Hospital Foundation. Great friends of ours, of course, at Cork's 96FM and uh, partners of our Radiothon and the base for our Radiothon every year at the Mercy Hospital. So delighted to support anything that they do or anything that's been done for them. I hope against hope we're planning to. I hope we'll get in there for Radiothon this year. It didn't happen last year. we Love to get there this year. Here's hoping that we will. We're gung ho and planning for it as we speak, but here's hoping. And if you have a story that you want to tell us about Radiothon, then you can contact us with that story. Some fundraiser that you want to do, you can contact us with that. But for now, let's get some support in for Timmy. Timmy Bobs, B O B Z, on Facebook, and help him to finish his one million steps for the Mercy Hospital Foundation. 1857 Um Mary says, if we don't open up until May the 1st, I work in the home renovations business. Where on the opening up map do we fit in? Don't want to come on the air. I'm homeschooling. I understand. You see, there's the thing. You would probably be part of construction. And Neffet have said don't let construction open up all at once, just like don't let the schools open up all at once. Probably essential well, essential construction has been going on, but they'll probably allow a little bit more construction and then a little bit more and a little bit more like that over the next couple of weeks and months. It's going to be slow, very, very slow. But wouldn't it be better? I'm only going to put this out there. Don't blame me for this. It's only a thought from the dark recesses of my mind, and they're very dark sometimes, wouldn't it be better to do it really slow and get it right than do what we did the last time? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. A lot of people intrigued by our story that we did in the first hour of this morning. Of course, if you missed it, you can catch the podcast that women are now seeking men on Facebook to donate sperm. Women and their partners are seeking men on Facebook to donate sperm to see can they use it to become pregnant because they can't afford IVF. We've done a comparison between the availability of IVF here and in the UK, and it is quite interesting. But uh, some some comments coming in. Maeve says, I totally understand why people would do this. But even if one guy donates 10 samples that work, that's 10 half-siblings who could easily meet when they're older and not realise they're related. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's a minefield. Maeve, thanks. 1850-715-996. Reminder of our competition running for this dull, dreary Friday to see can we brighten it up a little bit for you with the Clayton Hotel Cork, winner of Best Cork Hotel in 2020 with Cork Business Association. Overnight stay for you. Superior Riverview balcony room for you with dinner for two in the Globe restaurant and you can use the Club Vita Leisure Club with its 18-metre pool. You can do this whenever the pubs, or the pubs, whenever the hotels reopen. At some point, early summer, we think, we think, on text or WhatsApp, please, tell us the one thing that you would not leave out of your suitcase under any circumstances. The one thing you simply wouldn't be without. And here's the kicker. Why? Give me something unusual that you wouldn't leave out of your suitcase and then tell me why. And stay listening to win the ideal couple's break right here on your doorstep with the cork the Clayton Hotel Cork, 1850-715-996. Right, 
to Black Rock we go and uh, Councillor Des Cahill and a place that's been lying idle for quite some time now, isn't it, Des, the, the Lake Lands Tavern? It's been closed and idle for a bit now. Good morning. Morning, PJ. Apologies for the sound. I'm actually on on the keys in town. So, You're okay, it's fine. Um, uh, yeah, it's been idle as far as I know, even before. I was in council in 209 and as a result, the area around it uh, which has had extreme problems with potholes, etc., etc. You know, it's private property, so it hasn't been able. The council haven't been able to do any work with it. So, what we endeavoured to do a year and a half ago now, when we had our first uh, local meeting after the election, I chaired the first year, and I, I asked my colleagues to support the, the plan that Avenue de Rain would become the main project um, of interest and the main project for all of us to agree with and to try and resolve within this term of the council. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what the council officials then did was that they and they started the process of identifying all the owners of all the areas, of all the sites, which, believe it or not, was quite complicated. Right. Now, in, in recent times, you've seen a, a, an application or a wish to, to develop Lakelands, which I welcome, I would hope to think it's sincere and it's not simply linked to potential CPO pricing um, because I believe that if, if we can't get uh, involvement, but it's always better to have cooperation of the owners, that we need to do CPOing and we need to be ambitious for Avenue de Rennes and yeah. something similar to the north side. What is going to happen, though, with, with the Lakelands? It's to be demolished and I think it's, is it, is it houses to be built? Well, that's the plan that's been put in by the by the, the current owners. Um, I think that would probably form part of the plan that the council would do anyway. And it would be great that if the owners are committed to, to doing this, that they would begin the process in earnest and, and, um, and start. So if not, if it's just a case that they're trying to tidy up the land zones and with an eye of the council potentially buying them, uh, that's a different issue, but the overall art, and it's not just the Lakeland side, it's, it's almost half of Avenue Duran needs to be re- regenerated, in my view. Yeah. Um, I did a video with uh, Fiona and your colleagues there in November um, and highlighted the, the very poor condition of the youth centre, for instance. Yeah, I only um, take it, you only have to take a drive down there, Des, and it's, it, it, it's, it's seen better days. It has, yeah. And it's different to the rest of Mahan in the sense that the rest of Mahan has you know, is in good shape. If you walk, I walk around man once a month, it's a matter of habit. And, you know, by and large, large, large parts there are very well kept. The grass is very well kept. They're litter free, et cetera, et cetera. Except I think rain can become an eyesore with, uh, because if it's in poor condition, it, people tend to misuse it. And that's, that happens everywhere across the city. Um, so we are cleaning it more regularly. Um, but we're very anxious to, uh, deal with all the owners, put together a proper plan in, in scale of, say, the Glen regeneration, and apply for funding to do that. Okay. It's not a quick fix. I did say publicly, even to get to that stage will potentially take two to three years. Um, but that's what we have to do to fix this. I think the problem is so bad, it needs a big solution. Mm, yeah, it is a very rundown area at the moment, and I think, to be fair, the closure of the of the pub originally a number of years ago didn't help. No, no, and I mean to be fair to to Rain the Red Cove, he, run, he runs a really good operation. Yeah. He's 
amazing with the community, the amount of voluntary work that goes through there and the amount of groups that it brings in. Um, as I said, it's the only blight in the area, in my view, in the last 10 years, from the regular side of four meetings, police meetings, to to the, you know, better, to the amount of actual houses we, we redid this year that were, were boarded up. Um, but this is the biggest problem in the area, in my view, and that's why it needs the biggest solution. Okay, well, we'll see where it goes from here, but at least the Lakelands Tavern of Old, thank you, Councillor Descal, Lakelands Tavern of Old to be gone, demolished, and we understand 39 residential units is what the owners want to do with it, which is a good thing, but Descal is pointing out that that particular area of Avenue du in Mahan, it's it's seen better days, and something else needs to be done. In addition, on top of that, to, to regenerate uh, and, and revitalise the area. A lovely area in its heyday. And two damn fine pubs, the Red Cove and the Lakelands. And God, as a jobbing jock, uh, playing parties, I played both of them many, many times. A great spot. A great spot with great crack and great people. And sad to see that the Lakelands in the, the, the shambolic, tumble-down state that it is since it closed. But uh, it at least is to see better days and maybe the rest of that area will do too 1857-15996 Helen was listening to Timmy talking about his dad John my dad also had a growth on his liver he was given 6 months to live he died at 60 John's story echoes mine wishing him the best of luck with his walking that is from Helen a lot of people listening to the story of people buying uh, buying sperm from sperm donors on Facebook and it's a kind of a what did you say did, what did he say? it's one of those stories do you know it's a kind of a what did he say? yeah one of those it's on the, the Times of Ireland I'm talking to Brian Mahan who wrote it in our first hour but we went to check the comparison between here and the UK as to what the availability is of IVF and thanks to Maureen for looking at this I'll tell you about it after the break. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 96 96 96. On Cork's 96FM. Ken Perry's been in touch from the 96 of M Street Fleet. It says lots of people driving around on this manky morning with no lights on. And there's a lot of surface water on the roads and it's creating spray. So the whole situation out there now quite unsafe. Light up and be careful. I suppose that's particularly for cars that don't have these modern DLRs that uh, every car on the road now has to have after a certain year of manufacture there these DLR daytime running lights but if you have a car older than a couple of years and you should turn your lights on please do because it's dirty and filthy and manky and dangerous out there this morning with rain and heavy surface water thanks to Ken from the street fleet for that we were looking at the comparison between here and the NHS for IVF treatment there is no IVF treatment available on the public service. It says these treatments are available privately only. They are not provided by the public health service. 
you can claim tax relief on the costs involved as part of your tax expenses, but there is no available treatment on the HSE. You can also uh, use the drugs payment scheme, though, to cover drugs used as part of fertility treatment, but pretty much nothing there for people. In the NHS, IVF is only offered under certain criteria. Uh, First of all, you've got to be under 40, and you'll get three cycles of IVF uh, if you've been trying to get pregnant through regular unprotected sex for two years, and if you've not been able to get pregnant after a number of cycles of artificial insemination. Uh, However, if you turn 40 during the course of your treatment, you won't get any more. So it is available on the NHS in limited circumstances, but not available at all on this side of the water. Keep your entries coming in for our competition with the Clayton Hotel Cork. Some fun ones coming in. Someone says they would never go to a hotel room without a set of Allen keys in their suitcase. What? Allen keys. Someone else is bringing in iron. You you do know that the hotel will give... Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, someone else brings their own tea bags. Okay. Okay. I can understand that if you're going to Spain, but you're only going to... to yeah. Keep them coming at 083 396 96 96. What would you not leave out of your suitcase and why? We've talked... A lot, I think, in the last month about how this particular lockdown is hard. Very, very hard. And look, it's only going to get harder as it drags on. And we can take it, I think, now as written down that we'll be in this lockdown until at least Easter and possibly beyond into the May weekend. And for me, anyway, the the best way to set myself up for that is just to accept it. Don't have to like it but just to accept it. And if we're wrong and it opens up earlier, then that's grand. That's a bonus. But one of the ways to get through it is to try to relax your body. Try to take joy from simple things, as we talked about during the week, but try try to relax body and mind. And one way to relax body and mind, which is exceedingly popular these days, I tell you, it's a hell of a lot more popular these days than when I first started even doing this show which, by the way, is seven years ago this very day. I'd forgotten. Seven years ago this very day, uh, I came in here to host the opinion line. Anyway, um, the popularity of yoga has grown and grown and grown. Grown like a, a coronavirus wave. Rosie's at the yoga nook. Rosie, good morning to you. Good morning, TJ. How are you? Good. Talk to me before we go on to what you're doing about that, the growth of yoga yeah so obviously yoga is from the east but um, I think generally especially a couple of years ago people would have been very reserved to try it and I think that very much stemmed from people have an image of a yogi right in the western world like a slim bendy young woman and that's definitely definitely changing Um, before the lockdown I'm I have a yoga studio in the countryside and I'd have people asking me, can I do yoga? You know, yeah. am I the right person to do this? And like the answer is like, as long as you have the breath, you can vastly benefit from yoga. As long as you have what, Rosie? 
the breath as breath. long as you can breathe yeah okay simple as because um, you have this kind of impression i guess if you've never gone near yoga before of trying to get your ankle behind your ear absolutely and that's it's it's a real hindrance to people accessing yoga like one of my specialities is working with um people with cancer and i think once i say that people have a complete shift in their mentality they can see that like okay if someone's going through chemotherapy <laughs> the likelihood is that they're not going to be able to put their foot above their ear or whatever as you mm. say you know so um it, it really, really is for everyone, and especially now when, you know, we're struggling with um, a lot of the things that yoga can alleviate, you know, stress, anxiety, feeling just untethered, feeling like we're floating around and we're caged at the same time, you yeah. know? There's a lot for people to be dealing with. Yeah. You're doing yoga for calm, so talk to me about that one. Okay, so yoga for calm is um, a blended approach where we journal, we meditate, and we do some gentle yoga. Um, and it's a little bit of mindfulness five days a week. So you can just take that time whenever you need to, to dip in and to center yourself. And do you um, just sit in, sit down and breathe or do you move, stretch? What do you do? Okay, so we do meditation. So that's sitting down um, and I'll guide you with your breath or we'll use some visualization techniques to help calm the mind, calm the body. Um, and then we also do some movement-based practice, so the yoga movement practice where, you know, we'll stretch the body, build a bit of strength, really ground in and let the thoughts float away. Um, and then also the journaling allows you to kind of see the shifts, see what's working, see what's not working and keep adapting and changing until you find something that works for you because it's a personal practice. Yeah. Yeah. And you do it obviously online now. It is online at the moment. Um I have a yoga dome in the back garden that is waiting to welcome people. But yeah, for the moment, it's online. And you literally say anybody who can breathe, basically, can do yeah. this. Yeah. And like you yourself, do you sound surprised by that? Like, does that... Well, I, I would kind of have... I would kind of have this idea that yoga involves putting your body into all sorts of strange shapes. Not at all. Um, and most teachers these days, like 99%, there's a, there's a saying that you, uh, you go at the pace of the baby elephant. So in a herd of elephants, right. the elephants will go at the pace of the baby elephant. Gotcha. So you can read a room and you can see and offer adaptations and let people go at their own pace. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I, I, I've seen it I'm on holidays a couple of years ago, Rosie, mm. and um, th this man was in the same apartment block as us. We were in Alcudia in, in Spain and I used to get up in the morning and make coffee and sit out and enjoy the morning. But... This guy will be out every morning at seven, seven o'clock mm -hmm. and uh, just standing in the middle by the swimming pool, but no one was up, stretching mm -hmm. and bending and what mm -hmm. looked like an old PT workout, like a soldier or something. <laughs> but he was stretching and bending and stretching and bending and he had a very, very flexible man. Yeah. Um, and I got talking to him in the second mm -hmm. week of the holiday and uh, he was German, but his English was phenomenal. And we were chatting, and he said, yes, that's my, rogue, my yoga routine. Mm. I do 20 minutes every morning. And I said, mm. really? Really? I said, and, uh, and I said, um, do you mind me asking what age you are? Now, the man didn't look a day over 45. Mm. He said, I'm 77. Wow. I've been doing it since I was in the army. Wow. That's incredible. You know, so that's, there's obviously huge benefits to it. 
Yes, you know, but I think I think it's it's like all things, Rosie. People are afraid to get started at it, isn't it? It's the leap. People are scared of the leap. Um, so you have to do the brave thing, and then it'll become easier. It's the first time you get in touch with a yoga teacher and you say, "Look, have you got anything for me? Here, here's where I'm at. Yeah. Where do I fit into yoga?" Yeah. And a yoga teacher will be able to guide you. Okay. You just have to reach out. How do people find you? Um, you can find me at the Yoga Nook Cork on Instagram. Or my website is theyoganook.ie. Yoganook.ie. And there, is there a charge for your classes? There is, yeah. Okay, okay. So, yeah, you can check that out on my website. All right, great. Listen, good luck with it, Rosie. It's another idea that people are just using to try to get themselves through these tough old times. Thanks, Rosie, from the Yoga Nook. Yeah, that guy, I'm always fascinated. I sit and having a coffee in the morning and I'm reading my book and there he is outside in the early morning sun and where we were the sun would stream in across the, the complex in the early morning. So he was pretty much out meeting the sun. And he wasn't doing anything too, stra- too extravagant now. Although by the end of his routine, he was bending himself in some strange angles. But he wasn't... I got talking to him in the swimming pool one day and I was asking him about his... I, was, I said, I was watching you. And he told me that he'd been in the German army as a kid. But he was doing this since he was in his 20s. And he was 77. And honest to God, I said, I must learn how to do that. But I never did. I never did. 1850-715-996. There's some great entries coming in for our competition. I have them open here. Here we go. Um, Mario says, I bring my wife in the suitcase. (laughs) It's cheaper. I just pay for one. (laughs) Christine, the first thing goes into my suitcase is a bar of soap. Because anything, you'll always spill something on your clothes or your kids' clothes. And it means you don't have to wash off all of the item when you use vanish. Vanish soap. Gotcha. Right. Sharon says, I always bring pot noodle. <laughs> if I miss the chipper, I know every hotel room has a kettle and I'm wearing a hack. Ethel brings a book because she wants to relax. Loads of money so I can buy plenty of food and drink, says, says Paula. Annette would not leave home without a safety pin. A safety pin. They can hold your bra together. I'm sure they can, no doubt. And Lorraine, tell PJ I won't need this when I win the competition, because it's when I go overseas. I always pack in my hand luggage a little life buoyancy. A buoyancy aid in case the plane crashes and I survive as I can't follow the air hostess when she's showing me how to put on my jacket. My daughter thinks I'm... No, you carry your own buoyancy aid on a plane, Lorraine. Right. 1850-715-996. There's loads of them. Loads of them. And uh, it's with our good friends at the Clayton Hotel Cork. The one thing that you would always pack in your suitcase, the one thing that you would never be without, but the best part, why? The why is what will win it. And the prize is... A superior Riverview balcony room. Stay there, two people. Dinner for two in the Globe Restaurant and Bar with complimentary access to the Club Vitae Leisure Club and its 18 metres pool. It's an ideal couple's break right here on your doorstep and they're the winner of the best Cork Hotel of 2020 with the Cork Business Association. 083 396 96 Keep it coming. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96 FM. That morning, that's an absolute scumbag of a morning. I look at that weather. 
sweet god 185715996 the number to call the text to whatsapp 083 396 9696 the email opinion at 96m.ie. Do you see now why I said earlier on this morning that that's the kind of weather you'd like to blame on the government, but you can't? Do you know what I mean? I mean, look at that, like. And then, as I go back to my old argument, if this is spring, I am a Dutchman. First of March, that's first of March. If you missed anything from our first two hours this morning, uh, you'll catch the podcast in mid-afternoon. It goes up first on Twitter, and then it goes to all our various platforms, including the Cox 96 FM app. And if you do subscribe to the platforms, then you'll get the uh, podcast updated every day for you, uh, free of charge. 1850-715-996. Entries flying in for our competition to brighten up this horrible Friday morning. Clayton Hotel Cork giving us a wonderful overnight stay for two people when they eventually do open dinner a superb Riverview balcony room access to the leisure club and we want to know the one thing that you always pack in your suitcase the one thing you would not be without like just won't go away without it or would stop halfway out the road to go back and get it if you forgot it and why that is some beauties some absolute beauties come in. Uh, I keep a perfume spray to keep the bathroom smelling good, especially if I'm sharing a room. That's from Marie. Uh, not very often, unfortunately, I get away, but I do like to make the most of it, so my little tube of vitamin C perks me up in the morning. Simple but essential, says Margaret. Lion's tea bag. Oh, you see that? I put my lion's tea bag. Lion, lion's tea bags. You're, you're like, no, you're in Barry's country here. You're in, uh, that, oh, that's a comment now on, on a text machine that could start a whole civil war. Someone wants to enter a competition here by saying she brings Barry Lion's tea. In, oh, no, it's Barry. Oh, Barry's. Oh, Barry's misses are nothing. Barry's misses are nothing. 1850-715-996. Someone says here the government will try and blame Sinn Féin for the weather. <laughs> Stranger things have happened. Anyway, uh, yeah, I want to go to talk to Mags Weirden at Bumblebee Flower Farm. It's not the week you start to do it, but we hear so much now about the bees and the importance of the bees and pollination and the importance of pollination. And, you know, we're always being encouraged now not to cut the grass as often as you would in the spring and summertime. Leave it grow and let the little flowers come up and let the bees have somewhere to go. But what if you wanted to do something different, do something actually to attract them and help them, then you can do that. Mags Reardon from Bumblebee Flower Bar, Flower Farm in Dribble League joins me. Hi, Mags. Hi, PJ. How are you? Great. You have a whole plan for people. Yes. It's, um, do you know, I've been asked over and over different things kind of to help the pollinators or just to have cut flowers or flowers that, you know, people can use and eat. So I thought, do you know what, let's combine the whole thing. Mm. So this is a plan that will help. It'll support our pollinators. It has um, about 70% of it is edible, so it can be used for cooking. And then you have the cut flower element, which is why I'd recommend certain varieties that you get enough length and height that you can actually cut them as well. Right. And you actually set aside a corner of the garden? 
Exactly. Do you know there's there's a size on the plan? Do you know it is kind of a, a four foot by about nine and a half foot. Um, you know, and you have your spacings and your varieties. And we do an Instagram live once a month then where with each stage, we're actually helping people because so many people said, I don't know how to start it. Mm-hmm. Do you know, or where do I get good, clean seed? And do you know, so I thought, you know what? I've had such an incredible year last year. Why not give something back and help people help our bees? So that's what it's all about. Remind us again, Mags, why the bees need help. Unfortunately, because not totally, but through um, modern agriculture, the spaces that they would have had have been taken away. So that's their loss of habitat, we say, and home. And because it's much more monoculture now, a lot of the old, we'll say, wildflowers that would have... um, that would be the biodiversity, their food. They're, they're losing food. Um, so it's limited their access to home and food. It, 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 if you kind of imagine it, we say from a human point of view, if we only had one or two food sources, we wouldn't be very healthy. So that's why they need help. But why do we need them? Because without them, um, our, our whole system breaks down. There's there's a focus just on the pollination, we say, and the bees themselves. But because it's circular and it's all interconnected, if we lose the wildflowers that they pollinate when they're gone, then that's the food source for so many animals and other, you know, birds and other wildlife that we say provide food for larger birds through and it just goes through the food chain and it's this is a way because it's not just about the flowers each month we focus on we say what's in the wild that's uh, flowering now you know at this time of year it's it's a flower you'd almost go past holly is coming into flower Mm. so that's when that comes into berry in the autumn that's a winter food source. So there's the connection. Right. I you see. know, so if it's not just in isolation, we've, I think as humans, we've become very linear. Mm. And we've lost that. So this is kind of about, we'll say, bringing the whole circular thing. But you're getting something we, out. We forget the holistic nature of the world yes. around us in that the bee isn't yes. just there to buzz and, and no. soak pollen out of a flower. He or she is there to help themselves, help the birds, help us, help everybody. Exactly. Yeah. You know, we benefit without them. I, from me and my research and from watching them over the last, I don't know how many years, and the understanding that I've gained, it's, uh, I think it's a chink. Think about a Jenga block. And I think it's the piece, if you pull out our pollinators, right. it won't matter what we do afterwards. We're not going to be able to make it. We won't survive. We I happened to watch a documentary it. one afternoon. I tend to, this is something I tend to do to relax in the afternoon, Mags. When I have a few bits and pieces of work done, I go into the documentary channel, particularly on a horrible day like today. I go into the documentary oh, no. channel and I find something and I just watch it. Now, I might fall asleep during it, but I still watch oh, yeah. it, right? And yeah. one day I happened to find a documentary about bees. And I stood up there and I would be mouth open going, my God Almighty, I never knew just how important these little devils were. Yeah. They're crucially yeah. important to us. Oh, it's, it's vital. It's, if, they're go- if they go, we go after them. 
It's as simple as that. So where can people uh, get find details of how to do their garden and do their flowers and all of that? It's available um, on a blog post on our website um, called Ollie's Garden because my inspiration is my, my new grandson. <sighs> um, and I want a world for him. I want to protect and have a future. But How old is he, Max? He's, he just turned a year on the 2nd of January, so he's precious. Brilliant. Is that why you told me 2020 was a great year? That, that it started and it continued. Okay, okay. So for, for Ollie's world, effectively, you want yeah. us to mind the bees? I do, I do. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've always had this passion and I've always wanted to protect and promote but when he was born, it just renewed the fire in my belly. And I thought, no, this is crazy. And when COVID hit then, because everything is interconnected, um, I just thought, no, I, I really have to stand up and do something. Stop talking about it and start doing something. All right. So anyway, getting back to, it's, it's available uh, to download from our website, but it's also available on our Instagram profile um, through the link tree in our bio. Um, or if people can't find it they can always email us and we'll email it to them all you need to do is google bumblebee flower farm and it'll all come up exactly nice good to talk to you I must get down and visit that place someday apart from that now she has flowers you can eat loads of them that's how we got talking myself and Mags first time last year she has flowers you can eat that'd be interesting you know me now I'll try anything 1850 Bumblebee Flower Garden, if you want to find out how to help the bees. They're saying to us now, put, put aside a corner of the garden and don't cut it and plant stuff in it, plant wildflowers and let the bees come and do their thing and you're helping everybody by doing that. Tweet during the week from the Irish Community Rapid Response. This is the uh, Rapid Response Rescue Helicopter. We were talking a few weeks ago actually to our friend Michal Sheridan, who finished up his time after many years with the Mercy Hospital Foundation and is now running that gig for Irish Community Rapid Response and that helicopter. This week they announced their mission statistics for 2020. They were out 490 times across 13 counties. And they want to thank everyone who donated because it's a service that requires donation. It doesn't get any substantial funding helping to make the missions possible. Hashtag we can't fly without you. And that's from the Irish Community Rapid Response on Twitter. Niall, I think you live quite near the base for the helicopters. Good morning. Hi PJ, I do, yeah. I just live on the other side of the parish from the base. Okay, and and you've had personal personal experience with these? I did, yeah. Um, unfortunately last, last year I was just doing a little bit of work here when I had uh, an accident with a, a, a a machine we were doing a little bit of groundworks and I just had a crush accident here at home and unfortunately or fortunately as the case was I had use for, for the air ambulance um, that day they, they took me straight to um, CUH Describe the experience Well I suppose the incident says it's just just thinking of it as it happened um, and I was attended to by uh, two paramedics in, in, from the ambulance service and they, they arrived on site and uh, they were treating me and I suppose given the nature of the, the accident uh, 
Niall, do me a favour. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna put you back out to the lads there and try and clean up that line because tis 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 awful. We need to get you to move or something with that. Just take that back there, Fergal or or, or Moraid, and have a chat with him. Just see if we can't clean it up a bit because there's a nice little story to be told about how Niall had to. He was, uh, if you like, a customer or a client of the uh, Community Rapid Response helicopter and I want to get a bit of detail from him about it. So we'll see if we can't clean up that phone bill or that phone phone bill, phone line a small bit. Eugene called to say with regard to the bees in Holland a few years ago, they started to plant bee flowers on the roofs of bus shelters. Yes, Eugene, they did. And it's a brilliant idea. And when the missus was over there a couple of years ago, the last work trip away she had with colleagues, she was showing me these photographs from Amsterdam of this little little gardens on the top of bus shelters. It's a really, really cool idea. All right, we're going to get Niall back on a better line in just a tick. Uh, Dave on Twitter with regard to lockdown. And now I think we can probably accept that the position in which we find ourselves is that we're not getting out of this until at least Easter. All the indications are there and probably into May if you're to believe the message that Tom got from his local church this morning. Masses won't be starting until well into June. Uh, Masses open to the public that is. Uh, They're online of course all the time. All the churches now, most of the churches have online Masses. Uh, So that that puts the kibosh on on that element of reopening and we don't even see a pub or a hotel before the end of May start of June but last night the Taoiseach gave an interview to to the Irish Mirror uh, in which he seemed to indicate that it could be the bones of nine weeks more before we can get in any way close to being out of this Dave on Twitter at Opinion and at Six nine more weeks of a lockdown this is insane surely the five kilometre travel restrictions are an infringement of our civil liberties to travel freely within our county. Well, unfortunately, Dave, where we are is a public health emergency and a public health emergency trumps certain rights. Whether you like it or not, under the 1947 Health Act, as amended last year, but it's a very strong piece of legislation. I'd advise anybody, actually, who's interested in these things to download and read it, the 1947 Health Act and the powers it gives a government to do things during a situation like we have now. So, you know, your civil liberties, you can go on about them all you want, but the 1947 Health Act puts public health before it under a lot of different circumstances. But thanks for the the message, Dave. Anybody else, by the way, interested in that one? Civil liberties, do you know, do you feel they're imposed upon? You you can feel all you like that they're imposed upon, but the government has a right to do it under the law. Right, we're back with Niall uh, up around Drum Tariff Way on, on, a, on a better line now. Hi, Niall. Hi, Peter. Sorry for that. Not at all. Thanks for that. So you're doing a bit of work at home and you had a bit of an accident. Yeah, I did. And um, I suppose the, the nature of the, the, the accident, the two paramedics who, who tended to me from the ambulance service felt that I, I needed to be transferred uh, fairly fast to CUH. So I was being just a couple of miles from the the, the base below in Ratcool. I was transferred there in a matter of minutes and from Ratcool then to, to CUH uh, via the, the helicopter service. Right, so what's it like inside the helicopter? Um, to be honest, I suppose that day itself was, it was hazy enough. But I, I know, I, uh, just from, from thinking back, I know the time was, was quite short in the helicopter. Yeah. Um, I suppose I was in a bit of, quite a bit of pain, yeah. etc. So it's... Um, I, I wasn't really taking much notice of... No, I, I mean, like, it's... 
you're you're strapped in. I take it. Were you lying down yeah. or sitting yeah. down? Yeah, I was lying. I was. Uh, I suppose the paramedics who attended to me here on site had me strapped in on to um, a stretcher, and then I was transferred right into the, the helicopter very smoothly. And the the paramedics there with the the the, the ICRR, they I suppose secured me and and, and took my vitals etc. Again, and we we were off the ground in a matter of minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then you got to CUH and got whatever treatment and uh, exactly, exactly, yeah. and do you do you feel Niall that and I hope you made a full and complete recovery do, do you feel that that flight was key to to your getting a good recovery I do definitely yeah definitely like thankfully I suppose but uh, we only found out after just from all the, the tests etc that um, m- while my, my injuries were, were uh, very serious they weren't immediately life-threatening, but had, we'd say, to the difference of, of, of millimetres, really, in the mm. incident, it could have been an awful lot more serious. So, like, in that regard, the, 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 the helicopter service was vital. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's crazy, isn't it, that it, it, it relies so heavily on fundraising? It does, yeah. It is. It is. Like, I suppose, given the times we live in, you, you'd imagine that a service like that should be should be should be state funded etc but um they do do fantastic work and it's vital that that uh i suppose they get on the money that they they need to, to provide such a good yeah. service right they, they issued their statistics during the week now at two, 490 calls that's like that's well over a call a day that's many in many cases that's two calls a day yeah it is and i suppose where where we where uh, we live at home, we're as I said, we're quite close to the base, and we'd, we'd see it and hear it regularly, uh, passing, passing over, passing by. Um, so yeah, yeah, it is, it is a, a, I suppose, a phenomenal record. But thankfully for those, including myself, those 490 people, um, that that service is available in in Munster, you know. Yeah, it's it's remarkable service, and I know that Mihal, having transferred from Mercy Hospital to to there, Mihal will make a fine job and is really driving fundraising and publicity for them yeah it is it is i suppose just on one one side uh side issue there uh pj i just uh, ran a, a, a bit of a fundraiser myself there yeah. over the christmas period yeah. for, for them and um i just like to thank all my family and friends and and i suppose acquaintances and, and for their what did you for, do i just ran a gofundme page okay um just given the time i we would have liked to organize some sort of event but with COVID, etc., that wasn't to be. So we just set up a GoFundMe page, and I put my story out. And thankfully, people were very generous, and we raised over thirteen thousand for good for you, which we which we donated there the last couple of weeks. Good for you, well done, Niall. Yeah. Yeah. Thank thank you for that. If, that. if that's not giving back, I don't know what is, mate. Yeah, because it's such a good service, it, it deserved that. Well done. Well done. All right. Well, listen. Long, long may your recovery uh, continue. Uh, I'm glad you made a full recovery. And that few minutes, that many minutes, in fact, saved. Thanks, Niall, in getting him from Drumtariff, where he'd had an accident, to Cuh, using the chopper rather than having to use an ambulance by road. That few minutes saved him uh, from a much, much more serious situation. That's great to see. And a tweet, on the Irish Community Rapid Response, they're on Twitter, and someone just responded to their tweet saying, why is this essential service required to self-finance and rely on donations? People outside the major urban areas having to play second fiddle as usual. Buses having to go to Northern Ireland for operations. The Cork Kerry cancer bus 
has to go elsewhere for treatment, for goodness sake, and tagging a half a dozen TDs, including uh, the Taoiseach. 1850 715 And it is a bit crazy that such a wonderful service has to rely on funding. Have we more entries? Uh, yeah, we've got some more coming in. Yeah, a safety pin. Someone said a safety pin earlier on. Always have a safety pin in the suitcase. Cleaner also brings a safety pin. Or actually, ah, no. A good old-fashioned nappy pin. Can you still get them? I'm sure you can. A good old-fashioned nappy pin. Remember them, they were the size of a small penknife. God, if you, if you happen to misfortunately stick it in your finger or the poor baby's arse, that was the end of the day. But big, big, big safety pin. So she could pin her money into her trousers. You see, Cleana, I'd be worried about that, girl. Because imagine, like, you're after a few old Proseccos and, and you're reaching into the trousers to open them. It doesn't bear thinking about, like, you want to be very careful. Claire always brings a sewing kit for little mishaps. And Regina, first thing packed for a weekend away is a box of Panadol. Because let's face it, if we all indulge a little bit of more on the vino when we're let loose, oh, we do. Oh, I forgot to mention, actually, most remiss of me, I forgot to mention yesterday was National International Drink Wine Day. Like, you need an excuse these days. I always bring plasters with five kids. You need them, says Karen. We'll take your last few entries. We'll pick a winner before the end of the show today. It's with the Clayton Hotel Cork. They give us only something nice to brighten up this horrible Friday. An overnight stay in the Superior Riverview balcony room, dinner for two in the Globe Restaurant and Bar, complimentary access to their Club Vitae with the 18-metre pool. What is the one thing that you simply will not leave out of your suitcase? I suppose going anywhere, but the one thing you absolutely will not leave out of your suitcase, 083 396 96 96, and the most important part, why? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. On lockdown. Bernie says it's a joke. Another nine weeks. The Irish people are fed up. They've lost the plot. This crowd can't get anything right. The government are holding us to ransom. We can't go beyond 5k, yet the borders are still open. We're being punished for the decisions made by government in December. I agree with that man on Twitter who said they were blocking our rights. They have no idea of the damage being done to mental health. Well, I think you're probably right, Bernie. The mistakes made pre-Christmas in October and November when they ignored or altered or just dismissed what Neffet were saying. You're not, probably not wrong. That's the price we're paying for that. But we kind of are where we are and we need to get way, way, way down. Way, way, way down with those numbers. 1850-715-996. Speaking of lockdown and vaccines... And speaking of COVID in general, one of our MEPs thinks it's about time we introduced vaccine certificates 
if we're to get back to any kind of normal. Uh, Billy Kelleher is saying that as vaccines start being rolled out to the general population and as cases fall, though not as fast as we'd like, attention is turning to what life might look like when we return to normal. And of course, all over the world, if you travel a little bit internationally, there are many parts of the world where you have to have a vaccine for something or other to get in. Like you can't go into India without certain vaccines. You can't go into parts of Africa without certain vaccines. And if you travel long haul, even if you go into town here, there's an international global travel clinic down on Union Quay. I think it's part of the Union Quay Medical Centre. Uh, or my, and, 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 and you have to be able to get vaccines to go to certain places in the world. That's always been how it is. And there's a lot of thinking out there now that we're going to have to have a situation whereby to go somewhere or go to certain parts of the world, you're going to have to have proof that you're vaccinated against COVID-19. But I guess first and foremost, I'll be asking Billy Kelleher, Billy, do you think that we should also have a situation whereby to enter Ireland, you should have proof of COVID-19 vaccination? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Well, look, certainly, I mean, we have to accept that, you know, for some time into the future, we're going to be living with this pandemic in one way or another. So people are going to be vaccinated or not vaccinated. And then there's the other obligation on people being tested coming into the country. So if we are to put in place a system where, you know, you can identify people. And the difficulty here, of course, PJ, is people will use fraudulent certification if there's not a proper system put in place. Uh, Bear in mind already people coming to this country that must present PCR tests. uh, I'm definite that an awful lot of them are fraudulent. You can take it it as red, yeah? Yes, uh, and and there's no way of checking it. You just present your uh, printout at the immigration office. Uh, The immigration officer looks at it. Uh, You might have a screenshot on your mobile phone, and and that's simply it. So that's one area uh, which is problematic. That's the PCR. Now, we move beyond that into the area of vaccination. How are you going to prove that uh, that you're after a vaccination uh, if there is a request? Bear in mind that some companies... Uh, or countries and some airline companies will insist on you showing that you have a certification of, of vaccination. And if we don't have one that's interoperable between the various countries in the European Union and internationally, well, then it's going to be problematic for some time to come. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, if we are to open up uh, on a phase basis uh, in the time ahead as the vaccines are rolled out, well, then it would only make logical sense mm. that you would have a certificate that can prove and that's recognised internationally as being uh, unable to be forged, uh, that isn't Well, well it, surely, it surely isn't rocket science because there are many parts of the world, for example, where yellow fever is still endemic and, and you have to have a vaccination and show that you're vaccinated against yellow fever. So, really, it's just a, another way of doing the same thing. Yes, I mean it's not it's not rocket science, and uh, it should be, but it should be done on a uniform basis. In other words, the European Union, the United States, and a few more countries internationally that would have lots of travel and influence in the in the broader world if they came together under the World Health Organization or some international organization and develop it so that it would be. Um, you know, effective from the point of view of not being uh, easily forged. And on top of that, that it could be used as well uh, to ensure that there isn't um, a lot of mm. uh, movements of people saying that they are vaccinated when quite evidently they aren't. And this, like, well, you look at the European Union alone, PJ, like, I mean, there's a lot of people, migrant workers, you know, and seasonal workers in the southern European states uh, in terms of the fruit, uh, the agricultural industry, yeah. the tourism industry. And if they are to have vaccinations, 
uh, and they move from one country to another within the European Union, well, there has to be some way of their showing that. And you then put that into the Irish context. Are we going to um, stay in lockdown for longer than others because we don't accept uh, vaccination certificates that show that you are either vaccinated uh, or, or not? And, and this doesn't mean that vaccination is mandatory. But some countries will insist, in my view, you having been vaccinated before you can enter into their uh, territory, and that then will diminish um, Irish people if we don't, uh, you know, accept this uniform vaccine certification. Mm. Now, would you have any interest then in doing it domestically, as in uh, you'd have to have proof of vaccine to go to, for argument's sake, in All-Ireland final? Well, I mean, that's, I mean, that would be a decision that would be made with public health advice and the Irish government. Ah, yeah, but what about your own view, Billy? Yeah, I, 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 don't, I, I don't think that that would necessarily be uh, the wisest way to go. I think access to services I would be concerned about within a member state or within a, a country itself that they would be dependent on whether you are vaccinated or not to have access to something. But, I mean, some private companies that are running a, a, a business may insist on you being vaccinated before you can enter into their premises for mm. whatever reason. So in, in, in the event that we unwind Finding social gatherings, for example, uh, some some may just say, "Well, look, um, from a health perspective, from an insurance perspective, and all of that, uh, we we will insist on people entering, uh, you know, having to show that they have been vaccinated. Um, otherwise, they will show that they are are all PCR tested, and that's going to be the the challenge." I mean, well, there are many easier ways than PCR tests. There is the there's the antigen test and the lamp test and in the UK I see where Boris Johnson is not ruling out the possibility that if you were to go to something like a nightclub or a theatre that you'd have to take a, a fast test like a seven eight minute test going into a theatre. Yeah well look I mean I have said this for some time PJ being true I think it was on your programme before I talked about the antigen test I'm just at a loss as to why we don't use it in this country uh, in a more robust way. In conjunction with the PCR, the PCR test identifies you from the time you actually have contracted the virus to the time you, you, you unwind from it. The antigen test only uh, identifies you when you're infectious. Mm. But uh, it catches a, a lot, though. And it's not as accurate, yes, but in the, from the point of large gatherings of people uh, in the time ahead, you know, if we start to unwind the lockdown, why we wouldn't insist on people having an antigen test in an advance of they going into an enclosed space, for example, if it was, um, you know, a gathering, um, you know, even in the event of a, a, a gathering for a wedding or a funeral or, or something like that. So, like, we should, I think, embrace that a little bit more okay. than we are today. There seems to be very strong resistance against it. And the European uh, Centre for disease control and many other international bodies do say that antigen testing plays a role along with PCR testing and yeah. obviously further um, control measures like washing hands and wearing masks and you know social distancing yeah. but it does have a part to play uh, and I think that we should be looking at all um, measures available to the state uh, PCR testing, the quarantining issue uh, antigen how, you, how, are, how you are on the quarantining because it seems to be root it is routine in Australia New Zealand, Thailand Vietnam, China, all the places that have been most successful in countering this have mandatory hotel quarantine. Yes, well, I mean, it is effective because, uh, number one, obviously, it reduces dramatically the number of people that will come into a country because, I mean, if you're, are you going to con come into a country and quarantine for uh, 10 days or 14 days and then spend your weekend um, at the end of the quarantine and, and go home again unlikely? So it, it reduces dramatically the number of people coming into a country. But um, it does obviously... But it also, there's a far more, there's a far different and a far more important public health reason 
for the, the, for quarantine, Billy. And the experts will tell you this: that if I land in, for argument's sake, if I land in in Melbourne tomorrow, I'll be whisked straight to a hotel where I will spend fourteen days. And if I have COVID in my system, it will develop within that fourteen days. It can be corralled. I can be corralled and kept well in that fourteen days. And I don't get out until I'm clear of COVID, which means it never gets into the community. If we're, we're not going to get our community levels down without a far more rigorous quarantining system in this country, I would think. Yeah, but but, but PJ, bear in mind, we did get it down quite substantially last summer, um, and that we was did. Just, but then, just, but, but then we, but then it went up again. We yeah, didn't, we, we didn't quarantine then and keep it down. If we, no, if we no, got but, it down and quarantined, we'd have kept it down. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, quarantine has a role to play, but I think quarantining is an issue that has to be looked at on an all-island basis. I mean, we can't have a situation where a person who crosses from uh, County Tyrone, uh, you know, I- into Donegal... No, uh, we can't, but Billy, let's... let's can but, but, we, like, can, but, but, can we not suggest but, that maybe we could do it? Maybe we could do it. Like, this is an argument. I'm getting sick and tired and very bored of this Northern Ireland argument, right? Because, yeah, but, we, obviously we can't do... The north of Ireland. We don't. We don't have control over the north of Ireland, but we have control over Dublin, Shannon, Cork airports. We've control over those. Why can't we just say, if you come into Dublin, Cork, and Shannon airport for the foreseeable future, you're going into quarantine, no questions asked. Yes, there'll be a certain leakage from the north. You leave that to the public health doctors, and indeed, Dr. Gabriel Scally said on this very program, you could do that. We'll figure out a way to do that. Yeah, yeah, but I'm not disagreeing with the, the, the requirement for quarantining, but I mean quarantining from every single country, is it? Or are you quarantining from you know countries that are identified as high risk? I mean, these are the questions that have to be asked. I mean, not every country in the European Union is enforcing a strict quarantine. No. So, I mean, we just have to make sure... Why not? Why are we so afraid of something that clearly works? Well, it, it works... It certainly works if you want to isolate the country entirely. But, I mean, the bottom line here is some people do have to travel. Uh, some, there will be some movements of people. If you introduce a quarantine system, you certainly diminish the, the number of movements in out of the country. Of that, there is no doubt. All the scientific evidence shows, uh, you know, if you quarantine, you're certainly going to reduce community transmission. But mm. the question that has to be asked, PJ, is how much... Is, is, is causing the difficulties that, that you know, we're facing. Is Community it, transmission is causing all is, the difficulty. No, but is it primarily coming from air travel or where is it coming doesn't from? doesn't matter where and, it's coming from. But it doesn't. Com- it doesn't. It doesn't. Community tra- and this is the whole thing. This is what all the public health doctors are saying. Community transmission, it doesn't actually matter where it's coming from. It's, it, the very nature of community transmission is it's a problem. No, but community, tra- I mean, like, if people are coming in from abroad and if they are quarantining for 14 days, well, then they will be, they, they certainly won't be the ones that will be responsible for community transmission. The point is that if there is weaknesses mm. in your quarantine system, well, then it unravels all the good work. Fair, po- fair point to be argued. Fair point. When, when, when you have a problem with people coming in uh, through other other means, uh, namely across the border, and that is that is a significant issue. Yeah. Like it just weakens the army. You will end up with lockdowns. Like if you only look at New Zealand, they had three cases last week. One family, yeah. uh, the family were working in yeah. laundry for international air travel. One of them was, yeah. Yes, but they had to, they had to lock down the entire city for three days. 
for three days. For so three if days. You are to go, if you are to go down so they got it under route. control. And here's yes. what they did. Here's what they did. For three days, they brought it completely under control. Two and a half thousand people were tested within 24 hours. They set up pop-up centres. They had things called locations of interest. And when you get down to low-level transmission, you can do that. So the community where this family lived, where the girl went to school, where the mom worked, where the dad worked, they were able to isolate Neil and test nearly two and a half thousand people in 24 hours, Billy. Yes. That's uh, how it's I'm, done. I'm, a, I'm, agreeing, I'm agreeing with what you're saying in terms of rapid testing and, you know, being able to move in. But like you asked me about quarantining, quarantining doesn't work, but it does have implications when you are sharing a jurisdiction on the island of Ireland. There is that. It there is that. I'll give you that. I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that. But there must be a way around it other than saying we can't well, I mean, do the north. The, the easiest way around it would have been, would have been for, you know, their greater cooperation from Two the islands. assembly and from the executive Two in islands. Ireland. And I mean, that certainly is an issue that has caused concern for some Yeah, the DUP are being the ass, but two islands. Well, look, I mean, it's just, well, look, the executive hasn't been able to come together to make a, a final view on restricting movement in and out of the island. Because there was Ireland. no vote taken. There was a majority, was, in, there was a majority the in the executive in support of it, but there was no vote taken. Yeah, but if that was if that was the case, and if that decision was made, if we could have worked collaboratively the north and south, well, then quarantining and you know restricting air travel, mm. being able to put in place systems that were all island based, would have a much greater profound impact. That politically, PJ, that was never going to happen, unfortunately, from that perspective. But I mean, they, they, getting back to vaccination, so do we just accept that, or do we just not? Do we just accept that, Billy? Ah, oh, should we can't do that? Or do we try to find a working alternative? Well, we are. Well, we are trying to find a working alternative. I mean, what they have done is they've restricted uh, people coming, uh, travelling more than five kilometres all over the country. Mm. But in terms of people coming in from Northern Ireland, if you are, uh, if you come in from uh, County Down into Loud and you're f- more than five miles from from the border, well, then you're in breach of regulations in the Republic. Well, so nice your business to be there. Yeah. You know, yes. So I mean, they are trying to resolve yeah. some of the issues with Great the to see difficulties that. of sharing uh, a jurisdiction on the island when the the Northern Ireland executive is not willing to come to the table on an all-island basis to try and beat this pandemic. And that is very regrettable. And if you look at some of the major problems that we've had, you know, there's been huge uh, outbreaks in, in, in border county areas, uh, both north and south, um, from time to time. Mm. And that is simply because there's different approaches been taken at different times. And if we had the proper sequencing and the same policies at the same time, it would have been much better for the entire island and more people would be alive today uh, if that had been the decision made some time ago. I regret that. It certainly, what I believe, wasn't the fault uh, of the of the Irish government, but uh, unfortunately, other people had different views. Oh, ah, yeah. Okay. No, the, no, the border is, is, it is a hot topic, let's, let's be fair. Just briefly, Billy, before I let you go, are you, avail- are you aware of what Mike Ryan was saying about the sharing of vaccines? Mike Ryan from the WHO. Uh, sharing of vaccines with other countries? Yes. Yes. Yeah, well, look, I mean, I, I actually spoke about this in the Parliament some time ago, the European Parliament. I mean, like, we want to make sure that the most vulnerable people in, the, on, in Ireland are vaccinated. Um, you know, that's frontline workers, obviously, not, uh, being in the cold face, uh, the over 85s, those in nursing homes. But, and as we work down, but once we start getting down to the healthier population uh, base, well, uh, Clearly, we should, as a European Union, uh, be giving uh, vaccines to the vulnerable groupings in poor countries as well. Mm. So, in other words, you would start. Otherwise, like, 
until such time as the entire world is uh, vaccinated against this particular disease, you're going to have difficulties yeah. because, uh, you know, until you have a global herd immunity, you're going to have consistent outbreaks. And mm-hmm. if you have consistent outbreaks, where you then you have, you know, potential lockdowns in countries. Yeah. We, we, have a few, we have a few years ahead of us to get, to get, to get over this, but good to, to, to catch up with you, Billy. I'll, I'll leave it there for no reason other than time. Uh, I got into it a little bit about the border. It's just a thank you, Billy Kelleher, MEP, who reckons we'll once we will soon need vaccination certs to travel and I don't disagree with him at all. I think the first thing you should do is put in a rule whereby you don't get into this country without a vaccination cert and I'll stand over that. You don't get in here unless you've been vaccinated. I, I No problem with that. None that ever was. 1850-715-996. Let us go quickly to a nice idea coming out of the UCC Students' Union. Again, uh, lockdown-based. Uh, Jamie Fraser is called Check on a Mate. Good morning. Good morning. How are you getting on? Good. You're the welfare officer. Check on a Mate. What's it about? Um, so basically, you know, it's been a really tough time for all of us, and specifically last night, you know, and finding out there's going to be a new nine-day lockdown. And basically, for all of us... In- Students in UCC as well, the death to bed routine has wreaked havoc with all their mental health. And uh, a young mind survey done in uh, 2020 showed that 80% of the respondents had said that their mental health had got worse as a result of the pandemic. So basically, just trying to, in response to this, the UCC students in are just asking all students in UCC and students and everyone across the country just to check on a mate over the coming days by sending a text and reaching out, as that can change the perception of a loved one's death. Okay, so literally just check on a mate. Just think of someone in your phone, send him a text, give him a call. Are you all right? It is, because we don't know what, how other people are getting on. You know, people can put on a face over, not even put on a face, but you don't really know how someone's getting on over a phone call, you know? Yeah. And it can just be something as simple as sending a text. You know, if, if, if you know, we looked at the amount of people who are down the boat and if you send a text, it might just save someone's life. You don't know where people are at at the moment. You know? All right. Cool idea. Thank you for that, Jamie. And we, it applies to all of us, not just students. Jamie Fraser, uh, check on a mate this weekend. These are tough times. We've been putting up with more bad news, I guess you'd take it, but um, tough times. So check on someone over the weekend. Before we go, quickly pop across to Regina Landy, who is in Carrigaline. What is your chat-up line of, or not your chat-up line, your <laughs> thing of, I know that was last weekend, that was last weekend. Sorry, Regina. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Slap face, CPG. Right, okay. Um, what is the thing you will not leave at home? Panadol. A box of Panadol Why? and a bottle of water. It's the first thing into the case. Well, let's face it, PJ, when you're away, I think we all just maybe would have the extra glass or two of vino or something or, you know, the freedom of being let loose for the weekend and things. So, uh, that's yeah. your that's your Sorry, go-to. I said I might as well be honest about it because it is the first thing. Good on you. Case, like. Well, Clayton Hotel, <laughs> bring it to the Clayton Hotel Cork when you're going there for your overnight stay in their superior River View balcony room, dinner for two <gasps> below restaurant. You are the winner today. <laughs> oh Brighten up this horrible so old Friday. It certainly did. Thanks so much, PJ. That All right, was fantastic. Regina, thank take you. It. Cheers. And we had loads of entries during the morning. It went well. And thank you to Clayton for that. Before I go, there's a food collection outside the Credit Union in Glanmire for the residents of the Ashburn House Direct Provision Centre. They would particularly like ingredients to make food for themselves. A lot of residents hurt by comments on social media. Uh, but there is a collection going on there and happy to mention that. Before I go, quick mention for a friend of the show and a dear friend of mine uh, leaving Cork today to start new life and new job and in new apartment in Dublin. Uh, Jess, good luck kid. Good luck with the new job, the new apartment and the new life. And we'll catch up 
when it all allows us to do so. That's it for today. The programme edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Maureen Tuig. Have the best weekend you can drag out of it, will you? And we'll see you Monday morning just after nine. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.